0: one weird greeter that was at Walmart in Guelph, they they might, but most of the time, you know it's just business, right? Walmart has numbers that tell them that if they greet somebody at the door, it improves the affection for their brand, and it reduces theft. That's why there's greeters there, okay? It's not because they truly care about you, and, uh, you know, so at Lakeside, we're like every other church, and we have the same desire. We want to be a friendly church. We want to be known to be hospitable to people, But living in a world that's full of these sort of sales techniques and and Walmart greeters and fake friendly advertising and fast food, it's kind of easy for us to see that the art of hospitality has started to slip away in our culture, right? But it's a dangerous thing to let hospitality diminish, to shrug hospitality off either as just some sort of cynical marketing thing that churches do or as hospitality as some relic of a previous generation. And we don't do that anymore. Um, you know, that's just something that, you know, the pilgrims did and, you know, our grandparents did, but, but we don't do. And it's dangerous to sort of shrug off hospitality as not important because for Christians, hospitality isn't optional. And what I hope to show today uh, through the law and through the New Testament and the New Covenant and and the ministry of Christ is that hospitality is actually hooked deeply into the nature and the character of God and that hospitality is actually really embedded into the incarnation of Jesus into the world and in his ministry and that hospitality is like this sort of gravitational mass that the structure and ministry of the church revolves around. That if you don't have hospitality sort of at the center of it all drawing people in you know like the sun keeps the planets in orbit hospitality is this sort of central core truth this mass around which the ministries of the church revolve and are intended to revolve it's the glue that binds everything together and it's god's desire for the church that we be hospitable in fact it's not optional we must be hospitable people And so looking at at maybe starting with God the Father and looking in the Old Testament at the law, one thing that we know about the Old Testament law is that the law reflects the character and the mind and the nature of God. Okay, so when you're reading you know Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and you're plowing through all those laws and you're wondering what they're all about, keep in mind all the time as Christians that God's law reflects his nature, his character, his heart, his mind, his intent and his desire for us. And so with that in mind, we look at the law, and we can't help but notice that God has really, really clear ideas about hospitality, and he has a deep passion that his people that are going to be known by his name express care towards one another through the exercise of what we call hospitality today. It wasn't optional. It was in the law. It was in a lot of places in the law. And what God meant by hospitality was not just a home-cooked meal and a nice chat over coffee. That's not what God's talking about. When, he, when, when he's talking about hospitality in the, in the nature of, of, of creation and in his intent for his people, the laws of hospitality were rooted into the Hebrew culture, into, into the culture of the Israelites. And as you go through the law, you realize that without hospitality, it's doubtful that the society and the economy could even function in the world that they lived in, in the dangers that were out there, in the need for cohesion and for trust and for safety, hospitality was super important to Israel. And so in addition to all that cultural stuff, God built the need for hospitality into the identity of his people so that they would be known as God's people as people of hospitality. So God's laws of hospitality. First of all, it assumes that we're aliens that we are outsiders in a foreign land. So God builds into his people this notion that you assume that you're the stranger. You assume that you're the foreigner. You are a temporary resident in a foreign land. And so the very experience of being an alien or a traveler, you're vulnerable to others and dependent on God, right? And he put this into Israel with their exile in Egypt. Egypt um, was the foreign land that Israel was born in. And so Israel, it was built into their DNA, so to speak, that they were foreigners, And that they needed to care for foreigners because they recognized that in themselves. They could empathize with others. And it was fundamental to Israel's identity. And so when they were receiving God's promises, Abraham was told that his descendants would be sojourners or travelers in a land that is not theirs. And so the first idea of hospitality in the law is the identification as the traveler, as the stranger, as the person who walks through the front door and doesn't know anybody. Right As the people who are living in a place that they don't understand, don't speak the language and don't have any connections in, that's Israel's identity. That's the identity that God put into his people. Secondly, his law asks that we recognize and respond to the needs of outsiders. So because Israel, because God's people can empathize with that, his law demands that we respond to them, that we meet their needs so that they are cared for. As outsiders themselves, Israel could recognize and respond to the needs of people that were powerless like themselves. And it demands that we treat outsiders exactly as if they were one of us. In Leviticus 19, it says it in a lot of places, but I'll give you one in Leviticus 19. It says, "...when a stranger sojourns with you in the land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt." And I picked that verse there because it kind of sums up all of God's hospitality laws. Right? The stranger among you will be treated as one of your own, and you'll love them like yourself. If we were to take our time and we were to go through all of God's law, we would see that the laws on gleaning, the laws on the tithe, the laws on the Sabbath they all encompass hospitality towards visitors and outsiders. God built these laws of gleaning and tithing and resting, and he made it for everybody that they would be cared for, not just Israel. And if we dug even deeper into the law, we would see that Israel's judges were instructed to deal impartially between strangers and Israelites, that foreigners in the land got no special treatment in the legal system over Hebrews, over Israelites. That everybody was treated equally. That God, when he created the cities of refuge, if you remember those, he created cities where people could flee to if they were guilty of manslaughter or other sins. And he created cities of refuge for mercy and that those cities were open to everybody, not just his people, but to foreigners and strangers as well. And the laws for provision and for just treatment extended to everyone that economic provision and protection did not depend on individually, individual hospitality alone, but it was a responsibility of the community. So if you are to go through God's law, you would see that God's heart, his nature, his mind, is that his people would be hospitable, that his people would not reject foreigners, that his people would not reject strangers, that they would not treat themselves as better than somebody else because they're part of the club and these people aren't part of the club. God built his law around this notion of hospitality of welcoming others, of including others, of treating everyone equally. Hospitality in God's God's culture wasn't just a barbecue with friends. Hospitality extended through everything in how they treated people. And so God built the roots of hospitality into the old covenant and there was no escaping his heart for how we were to treat people who were different than us and people who were foreign to us and and people who just kind of showed up on your doorstep, right? It was a radical level of hospitality, I'll just give you one quick example. You remember uh, in Genesis 19, there was two visitors who arrived in the city of Sodom, and they were given hospitality by Lot. And then the men of the town at Sodom, nasty town, came. They wanted to abuse these men. Basically, said to Lot, "You know, send these men out. You know, we want to abuse them. We want to take advantage of them." And Lot refused that he basically went out and he entreated them. He said, "You know the laws around here, guys. They're under my roof, they're under my protection. I will do anything to stand between you and them to protect them. The laws of hospitality in God's in God's world are radical. They're not just, you know, dinner and coffee. It's taken very seriously." So now as we move forward, what does the nature and heart of God express itself to us under the new covenant? You say, okay, Paul, that's Old Testament stuff. That's all God's law and vows and these and you shall and shall not. I get it. But what does hospitality mean in the new covenant? How How does the heart of God reflect itself in the incarnation of Christ and in his ministry, what Jesus came to teach us and to show us? And in the new covenant, the law of hospitality basically becomes flesh in Jesus. And Jesus himself is sort of the ultimate alien. He's the ultimate stranger looking for a new family, right? Jesus comes out of heaven and he comes into our world. And he hasn't even been born yet. And already we have a picture of the job that he has ahead of us to teach us about hospitality. Because when Jesus is born, there's no room for him at the inn. He's born in a stable with the animals. That's his welcome to our world. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Hey, Jesus, go get born in a barn. And so right off the bat, you have this picture sort of of the job Jesus has to do, the work ahead of him in order to teach his people what hospitality really means. You look at the life of Jesus. You look at his ministry through this lens. And as Jesus comes into the world to personify the law of God and to establish the church, his life, his teaching, his ministry all place hospitality at the center. Just think about that. Think about his life. Think about his ministry. What is that gravitational force at the center? It's the welcoming hospitality of Jesus. As I said at the beginning, in his life, in his ministry, in his teaching, and in the church that Jesus establishes, hospitality becomes this sort of gravitational mass at the center that pulls people into its orbit. It pulls people into the orbit of Jesus. It pulls people into the orbit of the church. And people are drawn in towards God and begin to revolve around it. And that's why hospitality is not just this nice thing that good churches do. Hospitality is at the core of Christian ministry. It's one of the foundational pillars at the center that everything revolves around. So theologically, if you think of the incarnation sort of theologically, our pursuit of understanding God, the idea of God or Jesus as a guest or a stranger in the world is basically an important element in this theology. As we try to understand God, we have to understand that Jesus is a guest or a stranger in our world. And by starting off with that, it gives us a glimpse, it gives us an understanding of of what God is trying to teach. And the practice of Christian hospitality is linked to it. Because Jesus is a stranger, he is vulnerable. He's expressing the need for hospitality shown towards him, right? He faced rejection. He was the stranger, right? It says in Luke um, uh, Luke 5, I think it is, it says, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is the reality of Jesus. This is how he came into our world, needing our hospitality, needing to be recognized And he and his disciples, they were dependent upon the hospitality and support of others as they embarked on their ministry journeys. You remember when he sent them out, he said, don't take a bag, don't take anything, just take your sandals and your coat and go. And when you meet somebody, if they welcome you into your home, then accept that and do your ministry based on the care of the people as you go. Hospitality was rooted into Jesus' ministry with his disciples. They required hospitality to make it work. The ministry hung on it. And at the same time, Jesus also presents himself as the ultimate host. He's sort of the ultimate stranger, but he's the ultimate host. As a host, he proclaims welcome to the whole world, that anyone who comes to him is welcome in his kingdom. Anyone who comes to him is welcome at his feast. Right? John 3.16 and many others. Whosoever comes, he's the host that welcomes everyone, not just his own people. Last week we studied Hebrews chapter 12 where there was the two mountains and the two kingdoms. And the second mountain you remembered was this picture of hospitality. It was angels and saints and souls and God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit everybody worshipping together in the city. The fellowship and the hospitality of the kingdom that's coming. Jesus is the ultimate host. So he models for us both being a guest and being a host. He's stranger and he's family. And he modeled this in a way in his ministry where Jesus allowed himself to be a guest in places nobody else accepted. This is important. Jesus came into the world, basically, in all the things that he did, you remember, he was radically disrupting the misguided law-keeping that was taking place, right? Jesus showed up, in the Pharisees and scribes and Essenes, and I mean, all of them, we pick on the Pharisees, but all of them sort of equally. <laughs> they were the Sadducees as well. You know, they were interpreting the law in their own way, And they were interpreting the law in a misguided way. And Jesus, over and over and over, has to correct them. And so, when Jesus comes into the law, into the world in this place, he encounters the Sadducees and the Pharisees and everybody else and the scribes. And he realizes that they had turned hospitality into this sort of social circuit of dinner parties with the right kind of people. Right? You think about Jesus' ministry and where he allowed himself to go to be a guest. He saw the Pharisees and everybody, and they were in this little dinner circle. And they were inviting each other over and they were throwing great parties and the food was really good. And if one Pharisee invited this guy over, then he invited that guy over. And so there was this little circle and the laws of hospitality were being completely misapplied. So Jesus comes in there and throws this gigantic, you know, whatever, rock in the middle of their pond, you know. He throws this, you know, gigantic wrench in their system of religion and hospitality. And Jesus allows himself to be the guest of people and show hospitality to them by sitting at their table with people that nobody else would touch, right? Jesus comes to basically disrupt and to break down these misguided applications of the law. Hospitality, the way that Jesus modeled it, was a corrective measure. It demonstrated the message that Christian hospitality was supposed to deliver, a message of acceptance and respect and recognition and love to people who were suspicious and hurt and wary. The people that Jesus met with, they were suspicious of the Pharisees. They were hurt people. They were very cautious. And Jesus' hospitality broke down all of those barriers because he would go and sit with them and eat with them and interact with them and talk with them and treat them as equals to the scandal of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and everybody else. Jesus showed that hospitality is the first initial gravitational tug at the hearts of people who ultimately need him, right? Hospitality is that first connection, the first thing that drew people into the orbit of Jesus. And it begins to have its effect when you can get people into your orbit or you can enter into their orbit and they start to be drawn towards this pure, genuine care for them that has this person and the gospel of Jesus at its center. Hospitality with Jesus at the center draws people in because it's genuine and it's pure and it's caring. And hospitality is so simple yet profound. It's a physical statement of the destruction of the status and the class boundaries that are irrelevant in the community of the new covenant, right? And this is spoken about in in many different places, that, you know, the church transcends these worldly distinctions, You know, Paul even had to address Peter on this because you remember in Galatians, Peter was going to visit and Paul was there and Peter came and he started to separate himself and eat with the Judaizers and he wouldn't eat with the rest of the Christians in Galatia. You know, and Paul called him out. He said, Peter, like, what is going on? We don't support this. This is not the hospitality of Christians. This is not the hospitality of Christ. We all eat together. 1 Corinthians 11, the same thing. When When we take communion, Paul is scolding the Corinthians and saying, when you guys get together, there's a bunch of you that show up with all the food, you eat it all before anybody else can get there. What are you doing? That's not how we practice hospitality in the church. Hospitality, again, I'll say it, was this sun at the center, this gravitational force that the early church revolved around, sharing meals with each other, sharing in each other's homes, visiting one another. There were no church buildings there was there was just people's homes that's where church was and so through you know just simple hospitality jesus basically challenged that classism and racism and the religious snobbery of his day and it was important it was instrumental to the early life of the church because that church had to pull together or it would die and it was through hospitality that jesus started to break down those barriers i'll give one example from the life of jesus here there's a story that we have in Luke 14, and it starts in verse 1. It says, One Sabbath, when, w- when he went up to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, and they were watching him carefully. Okay, so that's how it starts out. Now, the interesting thing here is, notice this, a lot of people forget this, Jesus ate with the Pharisees too. Jesus didn't just eat with all the poor, but you think of Jesus, you know, he ate with the lepers and the poor people and all the sinners. Hey, Jesus ate with the Pharisees too. Everybody needs Jesus, Even the religious lost, even the wealthy, even those in power. They need Jesus too. And Jesus ate with everybody. He showed his hospitality to the Pharisees as well. And later on it says, as they were talking about the dinner and and people who were invited, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, which is what they were doing, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so Jesus simply points out that hospitality is not just self-love. Hospitality is not just exchanging entertainment. It's not a reason to be repaid or even to expect to be repaid. I remember my old church, Calvary in Guelph, I had this person who came up to me, and they were talking about this issue of hospitality and, you know, how the woeful condition of hospitality in the church today and bemoaning how the art of hospitality is lost, and I agreed with them. And they said, you know, we invite people over, but we never get an invitation back. And it's like, well, that is disappointing. I'm not denying that that's not disappointing, but that is not the point. It's not the point to get an invitation back. The point is to show hospitality without expecting invitation, to show hospitality to people who can't invite you back because they don't have a home to invite you back to. So, yeah, so it, it is sad sometimes when you invite, and I know there's those, you know, you're out there, those people who are faithful and you're inviting people over and people are coming over and all that stuff, and you're, you're on side when you're like, yeah, preach it, brother, because there needs to be more hospitality. But at the same time, make sure that as you're expressing hospitality, you're not expecting to get it back again that you're not judging and saying, oh, you know, these people, they should invite me back because that's not the point of Christian hospitality. That's not the hospitality that we need to reflect at Lakeside. We need to reflect this hospitality that Jesus talks about to invite people over and not expect to return, to invite the type of people who can't return and be hospitable to them. It's not just a social exchange. It's a central force at the center of the church that keeps all of its members in orbit and draws everybody in and draws everybody from outside the church in as well. Not just for us inside the church, but to invite those outside. And so there's this chain of hospitality that sort of starts at the church, and it goes through our home, and it goes out into the community, and there's all these sort of spin-off benefits of this sort of chain of hospitality that might begin with a greeter at the door, it might begin with a church dinner, it might begin in small groups with a program, but eventually we make it personally, and it comes through our home, and eventually it goes out into the community. And there's this social and economic and physical and spiritual and accountability web that just gets built. All these different levels that hospitality builds on. Five quick things for the roles of hospitality in the church. We've looked at the law, we've looked at the incarnation of Jesus, now we look at the role of hospitality in the church, in the church age. It's for meeting the needs of strangers and the poor, and Acts chapter 6 talks about that, the Greek word for hospitality as it's used in the New Testament is actually philoxenia, and philoxenia is basically putting together two words, putting together love and strangers. So hospitality is the love of strangers. It's essentially taking a stranger and making them a friend. That's hospitality. And so when the church, sorry when the when the New Testament talks about hospitality, it talks about meeting the needs of strangers, loving strangers. Secondly, traveling Christians, missions, missionary work depends on hospitality. In the early church, missionaries just traveled by finding welcome in the homes that they came across. We practice that hospitality sort of at arm's length. First of all, we welcome missionaries here, and lots of people host missionaries in their homes when they come to visit on furlough or otherwise. But we also provide for our missionaries as they go forth. That's hospitality, so that our mission, the mission of the church can go forward on hospitality. Thirdly, shared meals were significant because they represented this sort of common life and equality, which I already touched on, that barrier that Jesus broke down, that everyone in the church was equal, that everyone shared amongst themselves, that there was no distinction between rich and poor, who could throw a good party and who couldn't throw a good party, who had really good food to eat and who didn't have great food to eat. There was no distinction. Everything was shared. And it brought to the surface those tensions of inequality, And so that was the third purpose for hospitality in the church was to break down those, bring them to the surface and then break down those barriers, class barriers, race barriers, whatever. Fourthly, hospitality hospitality was expressed in the hosting of local assemblies of believers, right? It was in households. It was in the people who could host and invite other people in that the gospel was preached and propagated. Right? Christian identity was forged and reinforced and the social bonds were established in hospitality. The early church hung together because people were hospitable to each other, not because they showed up at a certain building on Sunday morning for an hour and a half. That's not what builds the church. What builds the church is Christians, brothers and sisters meeting together in each other's homes. That's the glue that holds everything together. Fifthly, hospitality is also an olive branch. It's a language of apology. Just as the church sort of corporately had to deal with those issues of classism and racism at sort of a corporate level of, of welcoming people who are not like them, people who would formerly have been their enemies, at a personal level, hospitality is this olive branch at an individual level to people who might be your enemy. Right? Romans 12, 20, when Paul is talking about justice, he says, First of all, vengeance is God's. But in, in relation to your enemy, to the contrary, you don't treat your enemy badly. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink, right? Hospitality is this olive branch that you can extend in reconciliation to say, I don't want to be enemies anymore. I want to bless you. So we see as we move from the law through the incarnation, through the early church, hospitality is not as simple as maybe we once thought it was. Hospitality is not just this nice dinner and a coffee and maybe some conversation after church. Hospitality is built into the heart of the church. God built hospitality into the incarnation of Christ. Jesus built hospitality as sort of the gravitational force of his ministry to bring people into his orbit and to break down barriers and to display the love of God. It was all through hospitality. It was through meeting with people, eating with people, being welcoming to people, treating people equally. So what about us? What about where I started with Lakeside and our hospitality, and our personal hospitality? I think the first thing that we have to do maybe to get a little bit better at this is eliminate some of the myths and excuses, right? I did sort of an impromptu survey of several people through the week. I asked them, when was the last time they had somebody that wasn't their family over to their house? And then I asked them, if there was an excuse not to be hospitable, what was it? So the results of my informal survey, after talking to a dozen or so of you, some of you know who you are, (laughs) some people had had people over the day before or even the week before, which was fantastic. Other people had not had anybody over to their house except for family for over 90 days. Some people it was back in the spring. So there is sort of a broad spectrum of people who are very hospitable in their inviting of people over and people who are not so hospitable. And interestingly enough, all I had to do was ask the question and they immediately felt guilty. And I wasn't judging them at all, I was just trying to collect data. I just, like, when was the last time? And then there's just, you know, waves of shame came over them. uh, But that's not really what I was going for, although that is a side benefit. Um, (laughs) The next thing I asked, trying to be merciful, it's like, well, okay, then, you know, I understand it can be difficult. What are some of the excuses that you have about it? Well, my house is a mess, and I've got the grandkids, and, you know, I'm really busy at work, and we don't have food, and I'm not a good cook, and, you know, I don't have enough, and, you know, all these things started coming out. And we can just start breaking those things down right now. Hospitality does not depend on how nice your house is. It does not depend on how good your food is. It does not depend on how much food you have or what kind of food it is. Hospitality is just getting together and having coffee. It can be crackers and cheese. It can be peanut butter and jam sandwiches. It doesn't matter. Hospitality does not demand that your house be perfect. You know, I even started using that excuse when we first came here because we have everything on one floor because we're waiting for our bottom floor to be renovated, so our house is like a wreck. And then we thought, we can't let that be an excuse. We just got to start having people over. And so we did. And so I'm sort of declaring a moratorium on house cleaning right now here for Lakeside, okay? (laughs) Nobody is allowed to clean their house this week. And we're all going to go to each other's houses no matter how dirty they are, okay? moratorium on house cleaning. In fact, I encourage you to invite people over when your house is messy, right? And they invite, we're going to have like a messy house hospitality night or something because we've got to break down these excuses, right? Don't worry if your grandkids are there. Don't worry, whatever. Invite more people in. The more the merrier, right? But just get rid of sort of the myths and the excuses around hospitality. Break those things down. You thought a sermon on hospitality was just going to be a reminder to invite some people over for dinner, but uh, it's not. Hospitality is such a simple thing, right? Not everybody can preach, not everybody can teach, not everybody's going to be a missionary, right? Not everybody's going to do necessarily, you know, the things that we consider to be you know visible in the church and in ministry. But like, have you got a front door? (laughs) Do you have a table? Do you have chairs? Got some crackers? You're qualified to be hospitable. And it's hospitality, as we've covered already, that glues the church together. There's something uncommon that happens around a dinner table that will never happen in a sanctuary. Leviticus 10.1 <coughs> is one of my favorite verses. It says that the people of God need to be able to distinguish between excuse me, the holy and the common. Leviticus 10.10. And there is something uncommon that happens around a dinner table that never happens here in church, right? It is something holy that happens in hospitality. When we show hospitality to each other in a small group of people or even just one or two other people, right? In a church auditorium, you only see the backs of people's heads. Around a dinner table, you see their faces, right? In this service, mostly only I speak. Around the table, everybody has a voice to share. In order to honor our ministry workers and people in time, we kind of keep our service on the clock, right? I'm looking at the clock right now thinking that, you know, those you know, people that have the grade twos want me to finish on time. And so to honor people's time and to honor the fact that you have turkeys in the oven right now, we keep the service, we keep this, this on time. But in hospitality, when you're sitting around the table this afternoon, there's no clock. You can just share for as long as you want, right? There's no schedule. So there is something holy, something uncommon that happens in hospitality between Christians. You see each other's faces. You share your lives together. Everybody gets to talk, and there's no time limit. It's, it is the church functioning as God intended it to function, this isn't the end of church. This is just one part of church. So hospitality draws people in. It's the expression of the gospel that literally cements the church together. And it's God's desire for his church that we be hospitable. And so what do we do about that? Well, we're going to do some stuff to, to sort of promote hospitality in the church in the weeks to come. We can have a sort of look who's coming to dinner Sunday where people sign up and we invite people over to the church, kind of help you, you know, take that step out, you know, to strangers that visit, introduce yourself when you see somebody you haven't seen before introduce yourself you know say hi welcome them offer them to come over for lunch you know for those who can't repay make sure that when you are being hospitable when you're inviting you're not just inviting friends but you're also inviting people maybe people you don't know quite as well maybe people that you never expect will get a, re- a return invitation from but show them hospitality show them Lakeside loves them and to the community as a whole You know, maybe there's some stuff we can do there to show our love to Halliburton, to show that we are hospitable to them. There's things that we can do as a church to do this, but ultimately it rests on you. And so by way of illustration, to get myself off my own guilt trip, if anybody doesn't have anything to do for lunch, we have four extra places for lunch. You can come over to our house, and we're going to have turkey and mashed potatoes. It'll be great. You know, so keep that in mind and talk to me afterwards if you want some lunch. We'll take anybody. It doesn't matter. There, I feel much less guilty now. (laughs) So Lakeside, God's desire is that we be hospitable. He's built it into his law. He built it into the incarnation and the ministry of Jesus. He built it into the life of the early church. Hospitality is not just dinner and conversation. It absolutely is a gravitational force at the center of the church that pulls people into its orbit. It pulls people ultimately into the orbit of Jesus and his gospel. And it's the glue that binds us together. So be hospitable. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your example, for your heart, for your nature that would implant this in us. Father, I would ask that you would, through your Holy Spirit, give us us the strength to step out and be hospitable, to overcome any excuse, messy houses, shyness, Recipes, you know, food, nervousness, whatever the excuse is. Holy Spirit, give us the strength to overcome, to welcome one another with open arms, to be hospitable to those who can't repay, to even be hospitable to our enemies, to be, use hospitality as a language of apology, to extend an olive branch to those where we need a relationship rebuilt. Father God, we thank you for the power of hospitality that you've built into your nature, the ministry of Jesus, your church, and ultimately our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) There you go. That's six already. We can take six of you. We're going to close this morning with a song that uh, acknowledges God for who he is, um, asks a question, gives a response.